Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. It's been a very warm morning with this amazing worship that we had. And so give it up for the worship team again. Yes. And let's pray. Let's pray for the service. Move my password here. How's you, how are you doing today? How's everybody doing? Doing good? All right. Let's make sure you're awake for me. I'll give you a pow-pow if you fall asleep. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, Father God, that we are able to be here uh, in your presence, Lord, Father God, knowing for sure, Lord, Father God, you are here with us. Your spirit is here with us, Lord, Father God. So we ask, Lord, in the powerful name of Jesus, that you open up our hearts that you open up our minds to receive, Lord Father God, this message that comes straight up from you, Lord. And so we ask that it is a blessing, Lord Father God, for everyone here, for everyone watching online, Lord Father God, in the powerful name of Jesus. And Lord's people say, Amen. 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 So today we're going to talk about recognizing our limitations in being humble. And I'm going to share with you three steps, three things that we all can follow to stay humble or to um, do some thinking into um, becoming humble if we're not there yet, okay? So how many know what the word of the year is for our church? The way. You are awake. Good. All right. So the word of the year is the way. I feel like I'm a little, like, off here. Water down. <laughs> so the word that God has given us is the way. In the Old Testament, we find all paths where they removed, like, big, large rocks. And they kind of filled in with smaller ones. And that was the way. That was, you know, the way they made roads and the way they you know, travel, these um, small um, ways that they made. In the New Testament, there are Roman influences. You know, the saying, all roads lead to Rome. Yay. So, well, the Romans were geniuses at building at this time, and they built nice roads. But they built those roads for their convenience, they build them to transport their politicians and to transport their, uh, their soldier, their army. And they really didn't care about, you know, any other area that they didn't really need. So there were a lot of compacted dirt roads on the outskirts of Jerusalem. There were curvy mountain roads that were narrow and treacherous. And the first followers of Jesus also called themselves the way. And these early Christians walked the path initiated by Jesus. 
these early Christians, you know, they lived in the first centuries, in the common era. They were distinguished by their compassion to serve the poor and the least fortunate. And so as a result of persecution, these Christians were forced to follow the dangerous roads to other cities. Um, they formed close-knit communities, and in difficult times, they the pressure bound them together as a family unit. And sometimes they call that the household of faith. And so poetically, I was thinking about this, and, um, and I thought, you know, the story of Christianity is a story of roads. Roads traveled, roads made easy, but roads yet to be discovered. But above all, the story of Christianity is a story of difficult roads. And so one place in the Bible where we find direction to follow the way, to follow Jesus, and to walk and stay on the right path, on the narrow path, you know, no matter how difficult it is, is the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew, the, the version we're going to be um, um, using today. It's from the book of Matthew, and you can find it in chapters 5, 6, and 7. And if you haven't read those chapters, I highly recommend that you do. Um, the Sermon on the Mount is distinguished by beginning with the Beatitudes, but the Beatitudes do not begin until verse 2. And so in the first two verses it says, and it's going to be behind me, Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So I find these two verses very interesting because Jesus sees the crowd, and he positions, positions himself high up. And then he just sits down. It's so, uh, such a simple thing to do, so simple of Jesus, just like how he was, right? And it's as if Jesus is saying, here I am in a position where you cannot say that you do not see me. You can ignore me, but I will always be sitting here waiting for you. And then it says that his disciples approached him, and as Jesus spoke, he addressed them. And in Luke, it says, looking at his disciples, he said. Jesus made sure to address his disciples as well as the crowd. And it is evident that this sermon contains instructions for both believers and for those who are yet to accept Jesus as Savior. The Sermon on the Mount is big on kingdom rules and values. And we find topics such as, you know, being the salt and the light of the earth, the fulfillment of the law, murder, divorce, adultery, oaths, eye for an eye, right? Love your enemy, giving to the needy, prayer and the prayer's law, uh, the, pray the Lord's prayer, very important, and um, Topics like fasting, right? We have been fasting, and we'll talk about that later. Um, treasures in heaven, not to worry, judging others, ask, seek, and knock. The narrow and the wide gates. There's so many 
um, things that we can learn for the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it talks about true and false prophets and true and false um, discipline. The wise and the foolish builders. And of course, it contains the Beatitudes, as I said. So when we read the Sermon on the Mount, it is impossible to ignore, to ignore that Jesus' words get to the root of the human condition. And to say that laws found in the Sermon on the Mount are easily attainable, it will be to ignore the reality of man's sin. And to put them beyond human reach is to ignore the purpose of Christ's words. And so we have hope that we can read the sermon, that we can learn from it, that we can apply Right, I remember when I was little, my mother uh, used to teach me, Tiene que aplicar lo que yo te enseño. you know, she's like, you got to apply what I tell you. And my mom used to teach me how to fry an egg. And I was like, oh, I always mess it up. I always stick to the pan. And, you know, and so, you know, have you ever fried an egg and you try to make it so perfect? And then it's just like, well, you eat it anyway, right? <laughs> you eat it anyway. So there must be so many methods to do it, right, to fry a neck, hot oil, warm butter, boiling water, and depending how you like it, over easy, over medium, over hard, you know, and everyone might think that their way is the best way. And at the end of the day, each one makes it work for them. But there's one thing that we all have to agree and that we all know we need. We need a base. We need a base. You have to make sure that pan is ready. That's the base. Right? And so, I would like to introduce the Beatitudes as the base for the Sermon on the Mount, if you will. I think of the Beatitudes as stairs. They build on each other. In the order Jesus presents them. And they complement each other. And they all end with a promise. Sweet, Right? So Pastor Joel presented the first one that's found in Matthew 5.3 that said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Eddie spoke about uh, the second one that's found in Matthew 5.4 that says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And these two Beatitudes have to do a lot with our inner self, our heart. Right? They all have to do with our hearts, but these two are very special in that way. So today we continue teaching um, about the Beatitudes and we focus on humility. In Matthew 5, 5, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And in some version it says, Blessed are the lowly. And the word in Greek, this, is, this will be my fifth language, okay? Um, for lowly is tapinish. And it literally means not rising far from the ground. And like a rug or like a piece of tapestry. And the word humility in Greek is tapena fushone. And it means having a humble opinion about oneself. And the definition in the Cambridge Dictionary agrees with the Greek definition. And it says that humility is the feeling or the attitude that you have no special importance that makes you better than others. 
Okay? And so this is a beatitude of action. And what does that mean? I'm going to give you an example. Sometimes there are people that say, you know, I'm very humble before God because I read the word every day. And I go to all the churches meeting, I tithe, okay? But B-U-T, a big one, right? What about our relationship with people? What about the way that we treat each other at home? The way that we treat each other at work? In church? In ministry? For our youth that's here, the way that we treat each other at school? Right? Sometimes when uh, people speak to us, we complain, you know. Whether they're right or wrong, we respond in in a bad way, either defending ourselves or simply ignoring them or thinking that we're superior to them. And being humble has to do with deeds. We have to take action. It has to do with how we act. Okay? So back here. The definition of humility. Humility is a virtue that consists of knowing our own limitations and acting in accordance to this knowledge. And speaking in earthly terms, humility develops based on factors such as, you know, your personality, upbringing at home, um, life experiences. But also, depending on these very same factors, we develop a lack of humility. And there is a singular word that describes the lack of humility. What word are you thinking of? I heard it. Pride. Yes. You are awake today. Yes. So this topic of humility is complex, though. Just because we, you know, go over some definitions, doesn't mean that we're going to understand that 100%. So what I want you to think for a moment is what people who lack humility will be like. What would they say when they're not humble? What gesture would we notice? Okay, what, how do would they act? Probably they want to get away all the time. They excuse themselves when it's convenient to them. They quarrel and disagree with a reason, or even when they write, they just insist firmly in a bad way. Right? They uh, give opinion without being asked. They disregard the point of view of others. They do not see their gifts as talents given by God. They listen with satisfaction when they are praised. It pains them that others are more admired than they are. And they praise themselves. They are willing to admit their mistakes and their defeat. And they insist on having the last word. They're ashamed because they lack assets or lack money. Or they boast because of their wealth that they acquire in life, right? They refuse to perform, in quote, insignificant job. And they lie to obtain benefits. They are more concerned with their own feelings than with the feelings of others. They refuse to forgive others. They believe it is not necessary to repent of their sins, past sins, present sins. And they forget sometimes, very intentionally, that God loves all human beings equally. And so, we can agree that if we do not humble ourselves before God, we act with pride, 
We act with narcissism. We act with vanity. And we act with arrogance. And I'm going to share something with you. When I was in college, I thought about my graduation day and I wanted it to come yesterday. I was so excited. I was proud to even think of the fact that I had a day set to graduate. And it was, a, it was a big deal to me. I even felt superior to some kids that I used to see that were not going to college. And then I graduated. I remember thinking, no one can take what I know from me. Uh, no one can take it away. And my knowledge, my education are mine, and it's the only thing that I can never lose because it's up here. It's in my mind. And so I held on to that for life. And right here in my mind, it dominated who I was. And so at that time in my life, I didn't have Jesus in my life. But now I can, you know, take a moment and and think about how I was how far I come, I'm not there yet, but how far I come, we're always learning. And just for the heck of it, I want you to think and compare yourself to Jesus. Pastor, Carlos, Pastor Harold said, whoa, whoa is right. Just the thought of it makes me feel this tiny, like I could disappear, like a little ant, right? And so, if we compare to Jesus as so small, like a little ant, right? Why do we act like lions sometimes? If we're so small before Jesus, then why aren't we meek and gentle before God? Without a doubt, Jesus is the best example of meekness, humility that we can ever have. And you and I, as adopted children, must learn to mimic those characteristics in Jesus, who is the biological child. Praise God that we are his children. Amen? So the word is abundantly filled with clear uh, and powerful examples of Jesus' humility. You know, he was so meek, he was so humble when he walked on this earth. And uh, based on the evidence in the Bible, I'm going to share with you three points that can help us on the path to humility. Number one, Jesus warns us against pride. It's all over the Bible. In Luke chapter 14, verses 8 to 10, it says, Um, that we find Jesus visiting a Pharisee's house. And Jesus noticed how the guests um, were arriving, and they're choosing to sit in the very front, you know. And Jesus tells them that when they arrive, they invited to a wedding feast, they should not sit in the place of honor, or else the guests will be forced to ask them to stand up and give this place to a more distinguished guest. And then they will be humiliated. Jesus says, 
you will occupy a least important place when that happens. He said, it is better if you take the lowest place and then the host will ask you to move up to a better place and honor you. And then in verse 11, Luke 14, 11, Jesus says, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. On another occasion, Jesus tells the parable of the, um, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And he talks about how some um, people were confident in their own righteousness. And because of that, they looked down on everyone else. And so in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 and 13, Jesus tells how two men went up to the temple to pray. And one was a Pharisee. And the Pharisee stood by himself, and he prayed. And this is what he said. I thank you, talking to God, that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And he goes on to say, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Instead, the tax collector stood some distance away because he there, not even to look up to heaven, he felt so small like an ant that he did not deserve to be in the presence of God. And he beat his breast, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then in verse 18, Jesus repeats the same words that warn us of pride again. Luke 18, 14 says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves would be humbled, and those who humble themselves would be exalted. And this repetition means that it is very important to guard our hearts from pride, because pride is not a virtue as the world wants us to believe. Most of all, Jesus repeats it himself again because it is not easy to see pride in others. It is so easy to see pride in others than ourselves. It is not easy to see our own fault, our own pride. Okay, so number two, point number two is demonstrate your humility with deeds. Jesus demonstrated humility not only with words, but with deeds. He teaches us about humility from the moment of his birth. He was born in the humblest of circumstances. Who was his first guest? The humble shepherds. Yep. And this mother, simple child grew up and began to perform miracles. And after feeding the 5,000, you guys remember that, feeding the 5,000, he withdrew to be alone. He didn't stay there waiting for people to high-five him, waiting for people to say, good job, Jesus, you got this. Sometimes when he performed miracles, he would say, go away and say nothing. Or he would say, your faith has saved you, highlighting the person that was just saved, not the person that just did the miracle, which was himself. Okay? Highlighting the, he- the healed, not the healer. 
And even more representative of a meek character is how he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. The donkey is a major messianic symbol of humility. Okay? And so Jesus does not speak of humility without demonstrating to us, okay, how it's done. And so we must submit to the will of God according to his word, acquire a willingness to work under the proper authority. First, the authority of God. Yes? Amen? And then practice this with your family, at work, in ministry, at school. And always be willing to associate with the humblest of those who fear God, feeling superior to no one. And my last point today for you is to acknowledge dependence on the Father. In Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. This verse tells us that we must recognize the power of God, the power of the Father, but yet we must restrain our own privilege. That's what Jesus did. Jesus did not miss an opportunity to rectify, to share countless times that the Father was the source of his power. And when Jesus visited the temple during the Feast of Tabernacle, and the Jews wonder, you know, who is this man? What, how does he know all these things? What did he study, right? In John 7, verses 16 to 18, Jesus answered them, and he says, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does not gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent, who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. And further on in uh, John chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, Jesus says, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. There's a lot of promise in that last sentence right there. Okay? I always do what pleases him, and so he's never going to leave me. He's always with me. And that's the same promise that he has for you today. And so, as I was uh, sharing with you before, how I held on to that knowledge, having graduated college, right? And these past few days, I've been thinking about why. Why was I like that? You know, reflecting on my previous behavior, right? And so, 
And all of this, I, I, I came to the conclusion that part of it was because I grew up like that. I heard, I heard voices like echoes telling me, you have to study because this is the only thing we're we going to leave you. And those are words my parents used to tell me. So I grew up hearing that, right? And so up to that point in my life, as I saw it, I had nothing of value. And I was striving to get that degree. And I was, I was, I was striving to, to, to just be done and, and in my eyes have something to show for. So my education at that time and my thoughts was the best thing that I had. And I was, it was my greatest treasure. There was no money. There was no assets to inherit. And the root of my problem was that I was not meek and I was not humble before God. And I didn't know how to be that. And it all started there. That was the root of my problem. And so my problem was that I thought that I, I, a creation of God, without a title, was nobody. That was my problem. My problem was that I, little me, like a little aunt, thought that I obtained everything on my own merits and my own power. And so I did not know God. That was my problem. I did not read the word. I did not have a relationship with my heavenly father. I didn't know the father's love for me. And all of that made me proud. It made me focus on myself and how wrong was I. Okay? And in a spiritual, heavenly way, at that point in my life, I had no earth to inherit. And so, little by little, I have learned to stay humble. Little by little. It's one day at a time. And um, so, from this book that we're reading, it's a group of us reading a book, I, um, in my being humble, now I want to seek divine intelligence. Divine intelligence. And... Um, that's a term that I just learned to connect. I think before I would have said um, spiritual intelligence. Well, spiritual doesn't really mean that it comes from God. So divine intelligence, it is friends. And I say friends, I'm a teacher, so I say friends all the time. You expect me to say brothers and sisters, right? But you're my friends too. And so we must be very clear about understanding that we do not have divine humility unless we receive merely from God's generosity, even without deserving it. And so, humility, gentleness, does not come natural to us. We have to work at it. And it's hard. It's not easy. But with God, all things are possible. Okay? So, Humility is a fruit that we obtain from the Holy Spirit. And as we recognize our limitations, right, then we put our faith and our hope in God, the Father. We can start on the way. And so with God's grace, we can become meek in truth and in heart. Okay, so I'm going to ask that if you um, feel 
that you could do better in your humility, that you stand up, that you um, stand before God, that you humble yourself. I'm going to ask you, if you'd like to come forward to the altar, come to the altar and acknowledge your poverty of spirit. Okay? Come to the altar and mourn for your sinful condition and come to the altar and humble yourself before Jesus. Stand up, come forward and thank the Lord for your humility and ask him to keep you meek, to keep you lowly. Meek doesn't mean that you lose your strength. Rather, it is that you give up your power. And when you humbly yield, you win. And to be gentle is not to be delicate. It's not to be weak. It's not to show weakness. Remember the word says, Blessed are the humble, the gentle, the benevolent. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So I invite you to get used to walking hand in hand with God. Sometimes we hold on to his hand and we let go. He never lets go. We let go. He's always there offering his hand. So I invite you to remember to always walk hand in hand. Be tamed by his hand and led by him. Being a child of God means to let yourself be molded by his word. When you're a child of God, then you are an heir. How beautiful is that? God will not allow the meek to end up in the short end of the deal, brothers and sisters. Rather, they will inherit the earth side by side with Christ. So one thing that our church has been doing, we have been fasting. And that's one of the ways that we humble ourselves before God, with fast. And fasting is a physical and a spiritual expression of humility that glorifies God. Fasting and prayer show dependence on God. And so our church has fasted for the first 21 days of the year. And today... As we break fast with communion, we celebrate. We thank the Lord for carrying us through the fast and for giving us spiritual vitality through it all. For lessons learned, we thank the Lord that we even were able to fast in one way or one way or another. And so I invite you to examine your fasting days, to examine how the Lord spoke to you, to um, what you learned. And most importantly, examine your heart. Okay? Examine your heart. Take a moment. we get ready to um, have communion together. Get your hearts ready. 
Anything you give to the, you need to give to the Lord. Lay it at his feet right now. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 26, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us take the bread. the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me but whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let us drink the wine service today we're going to pray and we're going to come before God with a thankful heart so we thank you Lord thank you for being so good Father we thank you for loving us even when we don't deserve it you know we don't deserve it but you still love us you still call us your children so we thank you Lord we thank you because we're able to um, partake in our communion together we ask Lord Father God that what we heard today Lord Father God stays with us we ask that you word Lord Father God stick in our hearts and it stays there Lord Father God so that when we need it, Lord, we have it in our hearts, oh, Father God. We thank you that we know, Lord Father God, that you, Jesus, were an example of, of humility. You were humble, Lord Father God, and you call us to be. We thank you that we can um, learn this and that we can decide. We can make a decision. We can take action to be more like Jesus, to be humble, to humble ourselves before you, Lord. Knowing, Lord Father God, that who we are and all we have comes from you, Lord Father God. We give you all the honor and all the glory, Lord. We honor your name, Lord. And we thank you. We thank you, Lord Father God. We ask, Lord Father God, that you help us. Look into our personality, Lord Father God. That you help us, Lord Father God, know that everything is possible when we humble ourselves, when we come before you. Abba, we call on to you as your children. And we give you thanks. We give you glory. We give you honor. In the powerful name of Jesus. And all the Lord's people say, 
Amen. 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 Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.